How do we know God is in control? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, the brand manager for The Gospel Project, and with me, as always, is Brian Dombozik, our managing editor. All right, so today we are looking at um, 1 Kings chapter 17, um, which is the beginning of the Bible's account of the ministry of the prophet Elijah. Elijah, most of us think about him really from his encounter with the prophets of Baal, which is actually a passage that we'll look at in a future episode of the show. But we wanted to take a step back before that because his entire ministry is incredibly important, as is the ministry of his success. Successor Elisha, and both of them together paint this powerful picture of the ministry that Jesus would ultimately do as well. But um, I don't want to get too too far ahead of us. Um, instead, what I'd let, instead maybe Brian, what we should do is uh, we should we should set up some context. What's what's going on in this chapter of the? Yeah, well, Aaron, you had mentioned that that this passage precedes what is probably the most common Elijah account of of him with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, um, and this one ties into it. It makes sense because here we see God telling Elijah to to declare a drought. A drought's going to come over Israel because of their idolatry. And that, of course, dovetails to what happens in in the future chapter where Elijah is getting grief from the king because of the drought. So this kind of – it gives it context. So Elijah here, he he declares that drought. But then what we see is God in his kindness provides for Elijah in this – crazy way. He tells him to go at this little wadi, a little stream, if you will. And when he's there, uh, God provides for him to drink from from that stream. And also ravens bring him food, which is this, it's nuts to think about that. Yeah, last line. Yeah. So it's just nuts to think about that. Birds are bringing him food to eat. You know, right. carry out. It's, it's the first Uber Eats. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. There you go. Um, and, and so... Where we pick up with him is after he's he's declared this drought, he is in uh, he is in the land of Zarephath, right? Did I say that right? I, I believe so. All We're right. going to go with it. All right, there we go. I like it. Um, again, quickly, confidently. That's that, exactly. Uh, that's you sell always it, the secret. If you sell it, people will just feel like, man, how yeah. do you? He knows that's right. stuff. That's right. That's all you have to do to sell that's it. That's right. All right. So. Elijah finds himself in Zarephath, and he uh, comes to the home of a of a widow. There, there's just this woman and her son, and that's that's it. There's no no husband, no no uh, father, no brothers, no nothing. Um, it's just the two of them, which leaves them in a pretty vulnerable place mm-hmm. at that time. I mean, it just was not safe for a woman to be on her own, really. And in many ways, it was hard for a woman to provide for herself. Yeah, you know, a very male dominated culture, of course, in that day. So, yeah, she was uh, she was the of the most vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so. Um, so as we look at this passage, um, knowing that that this is here and that he would have brought Elijah to this place for a very specific reason, um, you know, there's a few things that we should see in this in this passage, right? Like 
um, there's there's kind of three big ideas. One that you hit on really like right at the beginning um, with the context, which is God's judgment on his people um, that he had that he had said that it was not going to rain in Israel because of their idolatry, because they had they had sinned against him um, and worshipped false gods instead of um, instead of worshiping him. This is the fallout of the end of the end of Solomon's reign. Yeah, really that. Things didn't get better when the kingdom separated. In fact, in Israel, it only got worse, um, as we'll see, you know, down the road. Um, that Judah at least had some bright spots. Yeah, they had momentary reprises, right? Where it just was a progressive slide for the northern kingdom. So that's one of those those things that we need to to recognize in this passage. In that, it also leads us to deal with some discomfort because of that. That whole idea of judgment. Yeah. But but as you're saying, and, and I think remembering the bigger context, this judgment was deserved. I mean, this was just an evil, wicked people who continued to rebel against God and and, and not dabble in idolatry, just plunge into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, this is outright rebellion against creator God, against holy God. Right. Uh, so this, this judgment was deserved. And Elijah's mere presence is a sign of God's grace and mercy being offered to his people, he's he's warning them through Elijah, and, and we're going to see the contest of Baal when we get to that. Yeah, I mean, it's a clear declaration of who God is, and, and hey, return to me, uh, or or else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, typically when we look at the Old Testament, we have been, and I, because I didn't grow up in the church, I'm not sure how this this programming came in, but we have been, we seem to have been programmed to think, well. Old Testament God, hot-tempered, wrathful, yeah. mean, angry all the time. Then he calms down in his old and age when he has a kid in the New Testament. chill and love and everything, and it's like he went to Woodstock. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what we see here. Even in this passage, we see these two sides. We see the righteous judgment of God, but we also see his provision. Yeah. Starting with his prophet, you can again. You mentioned some of it, um, even in just our intro, getting a little bit farther ahead with you know God sending um, you know sending birds to carry like to bring food to him, and wasn't the only time he'd done something like that. Yeah. But here he sends Elijah to this widow who doesn't have enough food either. And interestingly, you know you. you you kind of have to wonder, why did God have this two-part plan? Why not just send him to the widow originally? Because she would have had more food before. So while Elijah's at the wadi eating meat brought to him by birds and drinking the water, she's depleting her resources. Had he gone, had God said go to her right away, it would have made more sense. Mm -hmm. So it seems like God intentionally was delaying Elijah at the wadi so that woman's food could be depleted Yeah, to bring this point of desperation counterintuitively. Hey, I'm going to provide for you by sending you to a house of a woman who probably can't, you know, find any way to make ends meet otherwise and is almost out of food. And she's pretty much given up on life and she's about to eat her last meal and die with her son. Yeah. Makes total sense, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, that's so consistent, though, with the way that yeah. God seems to operate in, in Scripture and, and really even in our own lives, that yeah. he tends to act at just the right time, which is also the time when it's so obvious that what happens could be nothing but his action. Exactly. That's an important thing for 
for us to, to, to realize is that he goes there and he provides for Elijah, this widow and her son provides all the food that they need, that, that the, the flower pot and the oil, they're not going to go empty until the drought is over, really. And, and that's an incredible thing to see. It, it's nothing short of miraculous. But also getting a bit ahead of ourselves as well, we know that that widow's son will die and Elijah will bring him back to life. And so God, his, his provision was not just the sustenance they needed to eat. He provided Elijah in this home, preparing him to be there, to work through him, to raise this boy back to life and reveal his power. Now, one of the things that we can't overlook in this is that, and, and you, you've hit on this well, is that God's provision in this instance and, and really in all of life, it's not just for his prophet. It's not just for the, the Israelite. It, the, the woman and her son, they were Gentiles. They were, yep. Zarephath was not an Israelite region. It, they, didn't, they didn't know this God. They didn't worship this God. And yet God provided for them because it would bring him the most glory. And we'll see ultimately how as we continue our discussion. But let's, but let's keep going on this. Thinking back to God's right to judge and these questions that we, that we should be asking, these things that we should be wrestling with mm-hmm. as we study this chapter. We do see this, this tension that's in, in the passage of that all has to do with God's authority and his control over all things. We see him blessing and cursing not based on what we would think makes sense or what his people would have thought made sense. Because certainly there would have been some who would think, well, he should only bless us, the Israelites, not a a Gentile woman and her son. But it also forces us to wrestle with some discomfort, specifically with the reality of judgment and that God is right to judge. In fact, he's the only one who is right to judge virtually anything. Because he's the only one who can see clearly. Yeah, I think when we when we struggle, and I think we all do, we have to admit this, that it, it's hard sometimes to to encounter God's judgment either in Scripture or today in culture as we, as we see it manifested still. And at times it's, it's challenging for us to, to engage our hearts and get our hearts to understand God and his judgment. But in my experience, it's times like that that I struggle. It's because I've taken my eye off of who God is mm-hmm. and I'm focusing more on who people are might be you know it, it, when when i stop and 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 i forget the holiness of god the majesty of god the glory of god the splendor of god man even the smallest infraction against him is heinous isn't it i mean mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's the scale it's the proportion of of as great as he is even the smallest infraction really starts to reveal itself for what it is gross rebellion deserving of judgment so it's it's my in my experience the times i struggle with god's judgment is because i have too low of a view of god and certainly this passage with all of the the miraculous things that we see him do you know as if feeding feeding this family and and elijah wasn't enough raising her yeah. son from the dead there is virtually nothing more amazing that he does 
than that. And then we see the ultimate expression of that in Jesus, yeah. whom he raised from the dead for us. And that's, that's just incredible. And so you're right. We've got to be careful to not take our eyes off of him to, to force ourselves. Force is maybe the wrong word here, but to, to constantly be reminding ourselves, no, he is good. Look yeah. at him. Look at what he is doing all the time. But it's interesting how when we, when we take our eyes off of him or we don't see him correctly as he is, there's something else that this, that this passage can challenge us with, which is, which is this question of, of God's provision. So we see him do these, we see God do these incredibly miraculous things through Elijah just in this chapter. And we see him do more things like this throughout Elijah's ministry and into Elisha's ministry mm-hmm. as well. And, and more besides, and we start asking these questions like, well, is God, can, will God provide the same way that he provided for Elijah or will he work through me in the exact same yeah. way that or, he worked or through Elijah? Or strengthen that. I think sometimes we, we fall into the trap of expecting God to, well, you, you did it through Elijah. Therefore, I expect you to work the same way, provide right. the same way. And, and that's the danger here. We see Elijah to a degree is shielded from the pain and suffering around him. I mean, yeah. he, he, he had this buffet at the Wadi um, <laughs> and then, you know, God provides for him. Now he may have, it may not have been all, you know, wonderful for him. The, mm-hmm. the, the bread that he was eating with the widow probably wasn't that much, but he's still being nourished. Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of people around him, no doubt. So we look at that and think, well, here's proof text, right? That that God will protect His own, right? And He will He'll provide abundantly for us, and we'll be safeguarded. We'll be shielded. Well, that's not necessarily the case. I think back to the Exodus account, mm-hmm. and there were certain judgments on Egypt, certain plagues that they were exempt from, but they were not exempt from all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lesson for us that, yeah, God has promised to provide our needs, but not necessarily in the way we might expect. Right. And maybe not to the degree we expect. And also we have to be careful. Sometimes we define our needs improperly. We confuse our wants and our needs. So I think we have to be careful here as, as we're considering this, as, as we're considering about God providing for us, really we have to be careful about what, what we expect and why and really what our needs truly are. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that you you've really brought up the idea of presuming upon God in this because I mean there's a simple there's a simple fact that there there really is no simple answer to this question aside from does God always provide what we need and the answer is yes but to your point we don't always identify that correctly. The danger with our presumption is, is that when we presume that God is going to provide in the exact same ways is we fall into, we risk falling to one of two errors. One is of being led astray by a false gospel called the prosperity gospel, which says that God will always make you happy, healthy, give you good relationships, provided that you are faithful. Mm-hmm. If you have any problems in these areas, ultimately it's because you lack faith. And you are being judged because of that. Um, That is evil demonic teaching. And unfortunately, it's something that is taught um, to people of all ages, including children. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we have to be very careful and why. And it's one of the reasons why I love the Gospel Project so much, honestly, is because it's really hard to get 
God's going to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy from the scriptures at the best of time. And the way that we provide resources to teach the scriptures, it's pretty much impossible to get there. Yeah, You have to do a lot of gymnastics to, to do it. Why, why I bring that up is because while everyone is at risk or, or of falling, falling prey to, to that kind of heinous teaching, there's something especially awful about it when we're talking about kids. God has some of the, and Jesus in particular in, in the New Testament had some of the harshest words to say about what people did with children and specifically what they taught them, leading them astray, that the judgment that's going to come from that is going to be dire. And so we, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to future generations to make sure that we are teaching correctly and that we are being careful and wise in how we teach this. On the flip side, you know, a presumption about what God is going to do when we don't see him act in the way that we expect him to, that can lead us to fall into disillusionment that, well, God doesn't really care and God doesn't really, you know, maybe he doesn't exist at all. Maybe none of this matters. All, yeah. all these, kind of, these, these kind of things that happen when you're focused on the wrong thing. So we want to focus on what's right and true, the things that God does say clearly in Scripture, things that lead us to grow in our trust for yeah. him. Yeah, it's, that we see in this that's another thing. I, I think we we don't want to um, look past Elijah here. Now, of course, when, whenever we're looking at scripture, we, we always want to position God as the star, as, as the main one that we're learning from. And so God's action here, of course, are paramount. However, we can also learn through Elijah and just notice his his trust in God. Notice his faith that he demonstrates here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to appreciate it. I mean, God told him to do some things that seemed, well, they're not, they don't just seem counterintuitive. They are. Uh, go to this wadi. Okay, that makes sense because it's water. And then, you know, birds are going to provide food for you. That, that, that That's kind of hard to get your arms around. And then again, go to this this widow who is basically out of out of food herself and she's going to provide for you. But yet, notice Elijah, he, 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 he seems, based on what's recorded here, what has been given to us, he seems to be steadfast in his trust. He, he does. Yeah. He goes. He does. He's obedient. You know, he tells the woman, hey, well, take that leftover flour. Let's, let's, let's eat. Right. And so there's this, this sense about him that he, he has this trust in God, even though he may not understand how it's actually going to play out. Mm-hmm. He didn't, maybe he thought, maybe I'm just here for one night with this widow and God's going to send me somewhere tomorrow after we're out of food. Or maybe birds are going to bring food here. Right. You know, he, he, he surely did not know how God would provide, but he trusted. And so I think it, it speaks back to what you were just talking about, Aaron, that, you know, we, we, we cannot presume upon God, and yet we trust in him. We trust that, hey, everything you do is for your glory and our good, even though sometimes that good hurts, mm-hmm. even though that good sometimes may include grumbling in our belly because we're not getting quite the meals that we wish we had. Right. I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to follow you in faith no matter what and and continue to proclaim your goodness. 
All right. So next big question on this passage, how does it ultimately point us to Jesus? Well, you had mentioned before about the raising of, of the son, of course, that mm-hmm. that's a natural connection to God raising his son mm-hmm. for a greater purpose. But also thinking about Jesus in Luke 4, he, of course, mentions this passage as he's teaching in the synagogue in his hometown. Right. And I just love that passage because... I think it reminds us of something really important going on here that we've alluded to, but I think it's time to clarify that in in that passage in Luke 4, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and the initial response is favorable, that the people hearing him are kind of amazed by his teaching uh, and, and they are pretty much in the, in the posture of saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? I, yeah, I, he, this is something. But then Jesus intentionally He's not asked about it. He intentionally brings up this account mm-hmm. um, and, and Naaman as well. Two instances where God worked in and through Gentiles in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And, and he mentions this and he basically, my, my, my paraphrase of it, says, hey, there, don't you think there were plenty of widows in Israel that God could have used to provide for Elijah? Uh but yet God the Father chose a Gentile instead. And this just, it, it freaks out the people in the synagogue. And they go from praising Jesus to wanting to kill him, literally. Right. In an instant. In an instant. Yeah. Because of, uh, of course, it's their hardness of heart that they believe that God only cared about them. He did not care about the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just shows us that God's missionary heart is on display here back in 1 Kings 17, mm-hmm. that, that God chose to send Elijah to a Gentile as an exclamation point of, of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where he would use Abraham's offspring for the good of the nations, the fam, all the families of the earth, not just the Jewish families of the earth. And so this is we're seeing here God's heart for all people, giving all people a chance to understand who he is and come to faith in him and believe in him for salvation. One of the things that we we should also recognize too, we see we see the missionary heart of God. We um, and just to to reiterate this, that you know, when we think about God's provision, what has God what what is God's ultimate provision for us? Yes, he provide he provides for us through through general revelation, through his kindness in the world, um, all of these these wonderful gifts that we have. He provides rain and sunshine and food for everybody and and water to drink and everything else. But ultimately, the greatest provision that he gives us is Jesus Himself, who rescues us from sin, who gives us righteousness, who welcomes us into the family of God, and that we enjoy peace with. God forever because of him. Now, let's think about the let's think about this passage from the perspective of of a leader. So, um, a group leader, a student ministry leader, a kids ministry volunteer, whatever context someone might be looking at this passage from, might be walking through it with one or more people. What kind of help can we offer them in in working through this passage? Well, let me piggyback on what you were just talking about. I I think here we've got to remind people of our ultimate hope in in Christ. Mm-hmm. And while we do need to to rub shoulders with with the idea of provision and how God provides 
practically for us. Mm-hmm. We can't stay there. We don't turn this into a, a, a passage where we just teach about God providing food and, and shelter. Yeah. Um, again, that's there. But, but it's not the full but, yeah, point. The, the, the full point, the beauty of this is God, our greatest need is not food, shelter, all those things. Our greatest need is God himself. Yeah. And God has provided the way to be in relationship with him through his son, the giving of his son. So Jesus is the one who provides all of our needs, including that greatest needs. And he alone provides this. Yeah. So, so I, I think we need to get our people to see the beauty of, of that there. One of the other things that we need to do is, and we would encourage you to do, is a lean into the tension that comes mm-hmm. with this chapter, that our experience and what the story says don't always seem to line up. This is why we spent so much time talking about our expectations, our presumptions. And, and that's something that we might have to help walk someone through is, are you disappointed? Are you disillusioned? Are you feeling hopeless and helpless because you're actually looking at the wrong thing? Or are you, are you, seeing, seeing, cor- are you seeing correctly? And those are those are hard conversations to have yeah. um, with people of any age. I mean, we've dealt with those kind of questions at home, even just me walking through some of those things with my, with my wife, walking through things like that with my kids. And and it's not a it's not a simple conversation and it's not cut and dry, but it's a necessary one to have and and to not expect it to be capped off. You know, that it's not a one and done kind of kind of thing. It's okay, let's look at the little things that we see and and give and take the opportunities that we have to give God glory for the ways that we do actually see him providing. Yeah. You know, and um, sometimes those are big ways. Sometimes those are really, really subtle, but they're always there if we're looking. We also need to encourage people to see that God is good all the time. And that we do this not out of a naive, naive view of him or a naive trust or not of a blind faith. Yeah. But or sometimes we have a Pollyannish approach to it. You know, right. we think, well, everything God does is good. So it has to feel good. And, and you know, I think about this, this widow again, it, it, w- it did not feel good for her. I mean, think about this. You yeah. and I, we're both dads. Yeah. Imagine if our, our kids are about to starve to death and we know we're about to run food and we're about to die. And we know that that does not feel good in any way, shape, or form. No, not at all. And yet we know that this was good because look at how God provided for her and that son, not only the food that we've been talking about, but much greater. He showed them who he is. Yeah. And so I would guarantee when it was all said and done, that woman was able to look back and say, yeah, that was that was tough. Um, yeah, I shed a lot of tears. It was painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see now. God's goodness is so evident. I would not have traded that for anything. Through that pain came a greater good of of encountering God. And so I think that's why we have to understand, we have to remember God's goodness when it feels it and when it doesn't feel it is still fixed. He yeah. is good no matter what. And Brian, that's a great place for us to wrap up this conversation. Thanks for, for chatting with me today about yeah, this. Yeah, it was a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. And of course, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Oh,